Hello, everybody, and welcome to the News Paste podcast with me, Johnny Vedmore. My guest today uh, has been a thorn in the side of those who write our official history books for a long time now. And like other researchers and journalists who are inspecting the official narrative, he tends to find the answers uh, from around well, during World War II and the post-war formation of what we describe as a new world order and all its many tentacles. When I first spoke with Tony Gosling, I was very much at the start of my own journey towards becoming um, a semi-professional, <laughs> I'd say, independent investigative journalist. And if I was to look back at all of his um, work then, uh, I fear that much of it would have gone over my head. However, today times have changed um, because after years of research, I understand that many of the events Tony covers are actually marked. They, they mark the birth of our current political world order, the building blocks that make the, the what we see today made what we see today possible. So uh, welcome, Tony Goslin, to the Newspace podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Oh, thanks, Johnny. Thanks very much for asking me. Oh, wow. It's, it's, I mean, I think our paths were always meant to cross to some sort of extent. Um, I mean, you, I, so it's, it's, it's so difficult. When I first started out, I was uh, not, I'm not sure which direction to go in. I was constantly moving from one area to another, trying to find the articles and the stories that made sense, that made sense of things to other people. Um, but I didn't have so much in the way of sense of a proportion and scale and historical mm. understanding of what had actually happened at the time. And of course, it was really my uh, looking into Klaus Schwab's history, his family history, discovering about his father's work for the Nazis, um, and then uh, his his uh, joining of a CIA-funded um, program to train young global leaders out of Harvard called Kissinger's International Seminar. And everything that come from that is kind of that that's led me to really mm. have to go back to the state where you're at and everybody oh. as i get closer everybody's screaming not only your name mm. but names like borman and etc and you're obviously the expert so how did you get here well look uh to, just to start with this is a grooming program you're talking about which was instituted really around about the time of world war ii uh to tap up young um use often sons and daughters of powerful criminals of various sorts in order to make them uh, the new leaders so the idea is it's almost like a kind of genetic uh you know we want our kids to be the great leaders of tomorrow we're criminals but you know you can't um yeah obviously as schwab's father was involved in the in the nazi nuclear program and which people a lot of people try and forget about <clears throat> it was you know if you think about the logic of it all the atom was split in berlin just before world war Two. i mean all the experts were in hungary and eastern europe and germany so of course they're going to have a nuclear program uh, in uh, in and 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 what you've described your experience of sort of stepping out of this uh should we say comfortable bubble of uh, what we're supposed to believe in fact a lot of it is very uncomfortable on a subconscious level yeah. uh, is you find this this like a minefield a conspiracy minefield I'd describe it uh, with all sorts of extremely powerful important true real conspiracies um peppered with a whole load of total and utter 
deliberate rubbish. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a sort of barrier for many people. They think, well, look, I mean, I, I just don't have the time or the headspace to go through all this. And this is where one specific book really comes in handy. And you won't be surprised here, it's not mine. It's, uh, it's a book by David Southwell called uh, Secrets and Lies. <laughs> Now, David is, um, you know, an old mate of mine. I mean, we've we've had our differences over the years. Uh, he's now, um, you know, I think he's kind of gotten into the London establishment for our benefit rather than for his own. But anyway, <clears throat> he was very seriously ill for a while. His pedigree, David's pedigree, was writing a book called the um, the History of Organised Crime, which of course is a fascinating topic, and it's a very very good book looking at mainly Link, UK, but obviously America. Links as well, up well, not. yeah, links up well to intelligence agencies, seen as they basically morphed into being the same thing at some point. Well, yes, and, and drug dealing, and funny money, and banking, and I mean, he, one of the stories he tells in there is about uh, about Charlie Richardson. Uh, one of the South London gangsters who finally under Harold Wilson in the 1970s was jailed. And uh, when he came out of jail after something, seven years or something in prison uh, in the 1980s, he walked straight into a job in the city of London. Isn't that the way? Yes. And this is, this is, this is the world we're in now is there's no need to go robbing banks, you know, because obviously all the criminals are now running and controlling them. And um, as we've seen with the cancellation, I was just hearing today of uh, Debbie Hicks, who's one of the campaigners in the south of England around cash, for example, though she travels all around the country now. Uh, she's had her bank accounts shut down. Um, we had Nigel Farage having his bank accounts shut down, this sort of thing. So the banksters are just sending messages to all of us. Look, this is actually a religion. You don't even realise you're part of it. Money is a religion. It's an act of faith. And we're sl- slowly asserting our power and control over you because we are the high priests in that religion these bankers and then we have michael tyler a few years ago it's about four years ago michael's a blogger that lives on a canal boat and he's one of those brilliant journos that has just decided right i'm going to look into this story and he it was him that came up with this list of over a hundred dead bankers uh this is about 2017 2018 2019 during that period a whole load of bankers just committed suicide as you would if you're a super rich person um <laughs> shooting themselves in the head twice and electrocuting themselves in the bath so there was an absolute massive a massacre of bankers at the time and i'm what i'm thinking is that you know these are ones that are not part of the cult you know that are running anyway so anyway david's book uh, secrets and lies is a sort of coffee table thing but it's it's like salvation to anybody in your situation johnny where you're thinking where do i start you know because he's got a page every page has got another conspiracy which mm. he gives you enough information in there some lovely glossy pictures too uh um of how to check for yourself and he says it says right let's start look don't believe me i've just dug all this information out anyway he's done a beautiful job with that and i think it it, it helps anybody that's in the same sort of situation as i was originally when i left the bbc and you you obviously were after mm. we first pretty much the time, the time we first spoke johnny mm-hmm. to get your head around to navigate that minefield 
Yeah, and obviously we're all on our own journeys, and you've come from what uh, me and others would say establishment media, but you've seen yeah. that there's a load of uh, uh, there's a whole curtain to to draw back, and that they're not drawing back that curtain at all. Instead, it's left for these other researchers, and I don't think people understand the power of um, the gentleman you were just talking about, who's written uh, Secret and Lies. What was his name again? Sorry, David Southwell. Well, I obviously got to know David Southwell um, because that's the type of uh, thing that I'm desperate for. I'm desperate for people to give me the idea of where to look um, without yeah. it being, oh, look, this is the most popular topic or a really popular topic that we all want to know about more about, even though we know everything about it. We just want you to go there because it's the only thing we know. It's actually in between the lines of the popular topics where all of the truth is, where all of the the, the the real stuff is happening and i i suppose as well i'm i'm um i've had a lot of research recently i do I've done a lot of research into uh that era that you kind of talked about um in london where the gangsters were about and the changeover from gangsters uh merging with intelligence basically through the late 50s i i researched in the same way that you're talking about mm -hmm. bankers dying there um i researched that over um i i found out that over a year and a half um a, a, a string of women who own nightclubs in the most poshest part of London all died in all mysterious ways and then all of those clubs were taken over by all of the gangsters and intelligence linked mobsters that would eventually be um would all be betrayed by the intelligence or become intelligence and this would eventually lead to things like the claremont set and the the people in london like the clubs in london which ran the show you know this was the birth of 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 that the gangsters and the intelligence the the gangsters realizing that they could not beat intelligence and they had to join them um and i think we see a lot of this all trying to understand how where to look there i was asked to go and look into the craze and the ownership of esmeralda's barn and now everybody knows about the craze but as soon as you start looking at something like esmeralda's barn a nightclub in london that that, that no one really knows about but had a lot of activity back then and you start researching it you discover there's a whole world a whole world and it's all it's like a lot of it is known but it's forgotten and so yeah, but, I mean, the thing is, Johnny, at the time, a lot of this stuff was getting reported. It was splashed on the tabloid press. And mm -hmm. one of the things I'd, I'd, I think very, very few people understand is the change that happened in our press uh, between the 1970s and the 1990s, really through the Thatcher era. I mean, we're now dealing with the privatisation of water, aren't we? You know, and the, all the things that Thatcher sold off now owned by Chinese companies who just want to milk us for everything they, they can. You know, so it's like the Romans over in Beijing, uh, we're having to pay tribute to them. So, I mean, it was a complete disaster, Thatcherism. But what people don't understand is that battle that happened in Wapping with the print unions uh, and the journalist unions uh, and Rupert Murdoch and, and obviously very, uh, Eddie Shah, various other um, uh, media moguls, was so important. I mean, I, I interviewed for a journalist union oral history project here in Bristol, um, some of the journalists who've been working right through since the Second World War, who were retiring. And it was fascinating to hear that their their take on this as journalists was that we had a relationship with printers. We had a we we got paid, but we got paid by the proprietor.
but our relationship was with the printers and the editor. And um, so they would get commissioned to do stories. They'd sometimes just dig out their own stories. They were left very much to their own, trusted to get on with the job. And uh, what people don't understand is the complete difference that happened with the computerization and that, that Murdoch was doing in whopping is the, I mean, I, I was gobsmacked to hear this, but the journalists were saying, well, we, this particular guy was saying, well, we used to take the, um, the, uh, send the copy down to the print room and then we get a phone call from downstairs okay the, the the page is made up now so as a journalist in the usually late in the afternoon or in the evening we go down uh, into the print room to check our story and the, the printer and there was a line right between the uh, printing machine and where the journalist was allowed to stand and they would read their story backwards that had been typeset in hot metal and they'd read the story check it and sign the story off so the print journalist union and the print union were the only people between the story and the public, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. So the editor yeah. really didn't get involved. You had subs obviously doing headlines and layout of the page of the page was 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 really controlled by subs, but it was a very very trusted thing that the unions enforced uh, in a draconian way, right? So they understood the journalists must get their information to the public via a printer a printer and we're not having anyone messing around with it so that was what got broken by murdoch that whole system i mean obviously the print unions were basically destroyed the journalist union nuj is still there uh and so uh for example uh, uh, uh with the 77 london bombings uh there was a f- i mean i found this fact these little anomalies i find absolutely fascinating so mark honningsbaum on the guardian was down at the london bombings in 2005 and he recorded a little podcast for the guardian website outside edgeware road uh in marks and spencers where there were a lot of people who come out from the bombings and were kind of you know in m&s kind of uh, getting cups of tea and things like that and so he'd spoken to them and he did a little podcast on the day anyway the next day's paper the day after the bombings is an article by mark honningsbaum appears in the guardian the only thing is it contradicts what he said the day before so the day before he says the bombs were under the trains and he says it twice in his little podcast mm-hmm. this is what people were telling him as they were coming out and then in the article uh in the newspaper uh, it says the bomb was inside the trains and so about uh, maybe it must be a month after the bombings, Johnny, I phoned him up at the Guardian. I said, Mark, what's, uh, how do you explain this uh, difference between what you said on the day and your podcast and what appeared in, the, uh, in, in your article the next day? And I, it was a brilliant sort of silence on the other end of the line. And he said, well, Tony, not everything I submit as copy appears in the next day's paper. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Someone so, else is so, writing, uh, someone else is deciding how to, it, it, that is a real, that is fundamentally editing uh, uh, a base level, <laughs> as low yeah, as, as close to the bone as you could go. A terrorist attack in real time being interpreted. Another example is the Al-Sadda newspaper in, in Iraq. There was a massive uh, suicide bombing in, in uh, Baghdad, um, and it was all over the world. Uh, something like 20 people killed in a bus queue not long after Tony Blair's wonderful project and um, started. And um, and in the Al-Sadr newspaper in Iraq, their headline the next day was um, missile fire from helicopter. Right? So <laughs> the eyewitnesses in, in Iraq 
had been saying there's a, a helicopter fired a missile into the bus queue, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's an American helicopter or a British helicopter. It's one of the occupying forces. There's nobody else allowed to fly in there. Uh, just blew up a whole load of people in a, in, a, in a bus queue. It might be there was one person in that queue uh, that had some information that they wanted assassinated mm-hmm. or, or executed. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so we've had this story go all the way around the world. Isn't it terrible? A suicide bomber's done this in, 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 in Baghdad. But actually, on the ground there, and you know what happened? The next day, as soon as that had uh, been published in the outside of the newspaper, the Bremer's American forces come in and shut the paper down. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just come into the offices, take all the computers, arrest everybody, release them bit by bit. But that newspaper is now out of circulation, out of action. So this is this is a there's a very great interest by the military and by the intelligence services in every single story. And and this is just just coming back to this week. Okay, so there was there was I don't know if you remember last week in Krematorsk, in the in the uh, war zone in eastern Ukraine. Uh, there was a bomb attack on a pizza restaurant. I don't know if you picked this one up, but um, no, no, I didn't. Uh, it was twelve. There were twelve people. So it was a it was a missile attack by the Russians on a pizza restaurant, and this has gone all around the Western world in the press. Oh, isn't it the evil Russians? They're just killing random people in pizza restaurants. Well, you start to look at the footage, and you can see there's all military people being helped out of the place. So there's obviously a few military. Well, it's a war zone, so you'd expect that. And then on the BBC bulletin last Tuesday night. Uh, six o'clock um i which i recorded you've got a so they said in that bulletin oh and there were four british people injured so you think you think to yourself interesting let's see if we can find that on the internet anywhere no but uh, so what are these four people doing there from britain are they on holiday in in the war zone are are they uh, lost? Have they managed to sort of stumble into criminals by mistake and decided, right, w- we don't know where we are, so let's go and get ourselves a pizza? Been uh, a long night. They- Been a long oh. night. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what I'm saying is that it, it is, I think in real time, the media is really strategically lying to us all the time now, particularly okay. to do with the uh, with the everything to do with Ukraine. Um, and the the war there is utter. In fact, I even overheard some, uh, I I guess they would be military strategic communications people in a Morrison's cafe, uh, as this was all started, sort of bragging about, you know, oh, we had some journalist that thought he could uh, say what he wanted about this, Mm -hmm. and so we just got him, uh, we we, we put him in his place, and they didn't actually say they got him sacked, but that's what they do. They will use their... their, um, uh, They only... only they only got to get rid of the ones who who have got a good enough voice and who are concise enough to be able to um say their points and make their points salient enough to slip into the 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 public rhetoric there is a question that when i was listening to all of that was just rolling around in my head i just could not stop thinking about it like um I wonder, and I, 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 I you're not, you're probably not going to have the answer, but I think we can both estimate them. I think we'll both know the answer. But compared to that scene you paint now in uh, eastern Ukraine, in the war zone, um, and the people who are fighting in a war zone like that, compared to World War Two, actual frontline World War Two action, how many? of the uh, 100 random troops or 1,000 random troops, would you say were heavily intelligence trained back in World War II compared to now? 
I'm wondering if if it was actually like, you know, there's only one or two percent back then who had significant enough uh, um, intelligence training. And nowadays, I wonder if there's actually more people uh, on the ground who are intelligence than there are military fighters actually firing guns and and attacking the other side it seems to be that we are seriously this fifth generation warfare is is every is the whole thing that nothing is as it seems anymore and this ukrainian war has been um a hyper normalization of the the greatest guy some of the clips that you see on the news may, it means that they're not even trying to hide that there's uh fakery going on so so i mean how do you where are we where are we tony you're 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 well, a guy okay, who's got right, a lot so of there experience was, warfare, in this. okay there's lots of warfare everywhere um but it's it like you say it's there's a fantastic amount of money being plucked uh, plowed into psychological warfare uh, because it's been very successful in the past uh, i mean it was it was i suppose it was during world war ii and the d-day landings that there was a, a dennis wheatley the the writer was one of the major deception planners for that making all these inflatable tanks uh, so the german mm -hmm. reconnaissance would, <laughs> yeah, would see them classic. think there was a massive force and they succeeded there in um, in pinning down five divisions for about six weeks waiting for the invasion at calais that never came so this is an incredibly incredibly effective piece of work mm -hmm. uh and they would argue well it's you know it's ethical because uh, we weren't actually killing people uh, blah blah so they they, they learned a lot from we well, wheatley is never talked about he's completely taboo nowadays because he was a brilliant guy and a genius and a brilliant writer on the occult uh you know the sort of black magic and things like that mm -hmm. um and, and just generally a very good historian he's, he's done he did a couple of really good books one is on the russian revolution the history of that and another one on uh, the e english civil war which mm -hmm. is a terrific look at the uh, the history of what happened to uh, mostly to do with charles ii actually bit about charles the first but the kings you know because they were basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic yeah yeah it's a fantastic yeah, i mean you know it's a bit of a rabbit hole but uh the english civil war was one of the most important things that ever happened we don't really that, get talked uh, about okay just me. before well just before you say that um may I, I mean some of my audience know about this and you may know about this i don't know but um my, my father was uh uh, Colonel John Birch of uh, Colonel John Birch's regiment of foot, um, and I was grown brought up in the 17th century. Um, no, it's the was, sealed knot or something. Yes, yeah, I was in the sealed knot. So, um, my 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 uh, father, when I was about four or five years old, he set up Colonel John Birch's regiment of foot. Thirteen militia from there was about it was between six thousand and eight thousand um, people who were members of the seal not then and for people who don't understand what this is campsite loads of people partying all weekend families yeah. turn up um caravans etc and then we all dress up in 17th century costumes get our muskets on get our swords out get get the armor on put, put the pikes pikes up in front and and march off with drums whistles um and and water carriers galore and there's real gunpowder and there's and they, they fight for 
crowd in front of a, a spectacle for crowds of uh, i mean my dad uh, run musters at worst like sixteen thousand people would turn up and back then they were paying like five ten pound to get in and it was a wonderful day of festivities really good family stuff watching mm. like the reenactment of war outside various castles well i spent every weekend doing that <laughs> so i explored the 17th century in ways that many people didn't because my dad was so into it he he mm. set up his own regiment and that regiment ended up getting to a, about 250 people regular people um who i mean these regiments were like close family then you you're recruiting mm. friends you when you go to a seal not campsite you're all camped with your regiment in your tertio um and and so so you get to know history in a different way so mm. i find the english civil war amazing and my yeah. history teacher used to force me uh to bring in costumes and tell people about the english civil war um yeah. but but but, but it, tell it, me it, about it from your yeah, yeah. well look, from 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 i think you have to take a sort of view from the moon of it really because the english civil war was a battle between the feudal classes in england and the merchant classes and uh, it was started really by the city of london and the war against Charles the first it's interesting we've now got number three of course was mm. initiated mainly because he had been uh, overturning enclosures so there have been enclosures a lot of enclosures of land privatization of land uh, where people have been turfed out of their homes you know if you go around the, the the countryside now you often find the footings of these old houses from the 14th 15th century and small settlements which were basically uh, like massive allotments uh, around the houses so they started enclosing these villages which was uh, evicting the, the, the people and turning over the land over mostly to sheep um, but anyway, it was a modern kind of form of farming. They called it modernisation, but it ended up with lots of people being evicted. And, and Charles I started fining the landowners had been evicting people in the 1630s, uh, and uh, and they didn't like it because this was this was part of a plan and set off by John Dee in the Elizabethan era for a British Empire. The idea was evict all these people. Let's start growing a massive surplus of food in an industrial scale, which is the agricultural revolution, yeah. and let's get all these people uh to work in factories building things like ships and guns i suppose it's very similar to what happened in ireland in the late 1700s and early 1800s as well um where well in the yeah 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 sorry go on yeah so anyway so the point is that the empire was planned i don't really think charles the first quite understood or went along with the way the empire was supposed to be being built and mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he so but he, what he saw was loads of families uh, kids sleeping in ditches and things like this and he's saying no you you've got to stop this these people are, are growing their own food they're doing fine they're producing a bit of a surplus they're there for military service if we need them and this is a system i don't want the merchant classes the city of london overturning so so eventually, you know, the empire did happen uh, because we had a, mm-hmm. a there was a counter civil war with Charles II being brought back as king. But then after that, uh, the Orange Men won the day. The Masons won the day by bringing back in uh, King Billy in the Glorious Revolution at the at yeah. the end of the 1600s. So they won. I mean, okay, so we had a few years. In fact, it was a brilliant time. The uh, the, the Restoration, Charles II. There was all these plays being performed in London where mm-hmm. the establishment was lampooned. It was like amazing. It was like the 1960s. You know, I comedy. They run, they run the banks into the ground as well. I think during that period. As well, well, that's why the Bank of England was 
set up after the Glorious Revolution. So oh, that's the okay. beginning of the control of, uh, of of the people through money. But yeah, I mean, I, I, and, and the other thing is, I wrote in my book. If you're interested, is called the Siege of Heaven Reader, which mm. is really it's not my writings. It's an anthology that I put together. It's it looks at starts really at the time of the English Civil War and looks at the plot. Cromwell's plot along with because he's he's characterized by Walter Scott the writer the great writer historical mm -hmm. novel he invented the historical novel as the bankrupt brewer of Huntingdon because apparently he'd Cromwell had run a brewery in Huntingdon and it's good that you're, <laughs> you're not really you're not are you talking he'd about Oliver Cromwell Yes, Oliver Cromwell had run a brewery what? in Huntingdon and he'd failed. I mean, this was the way that the royalists wow. took the mickey out of him. They said he couldn't even run a brewery. Yeah, this guy, and it's one of the <laughs> easiest ways to make money is you pour a pour a load of uh, uh, malt and then you ferment it and you make loads of money out of it. And it's it's like free money. But Cromwell went bankrupt doing brewing, and so he was. But he was kind of out of loss, and he was looking to kind of. Uh, uh affirm himself amongst the great and the good and the powerful so he was their their tool you know during the war anyhow so uh, uh i digress a bit talking about dennis weekly but i think the english have really got to understand what went on there because it set the 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 uh, stage for the empire uh you yeah, know, yeah 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 very different to the American Empire. I mean, we went around uh, with Bibles and guns and, you know, we had a bit more of a persuasive way. And also we were putting in water systems, things like that. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not saying the British Empire was a great thing. It was a, We massacred the North Americans. Christ, I mean, you know, what happened over there is uh, from Bristol here where I'm talking to you from, John Cabot went over to, in 1497, over to North America on his little reconnaissance mission. You know, oh, let's, this mm -hmm. is interesting. What's all this? Of course, I think probably they knew it was already there but this was for the public's benefit because they wanted all these migrants to go out to colonize north america and they wanted all the slaves out there to work as you know sort of mm -hmm. slavery system a, no. a kind of in a way it's a, it's an archetype for what we're seeing today with these central bank digital currencies let's have everybody as little slaves that we can switch yeah, on and yeah, off yeah, what yeah, they're yeah. allowed to buy what they're not and isn't it interesting how this comes back to talking about debbie and debbie hicks and, and nigel farage having their bank account switched off uh because farage is fronting uh this this campaign against central bank digital currencies is yeah, if you look online you'll find his adverts and things like that on youtube and all around the internet saying with nigel farage saying everybody must beware this is a really dangerous development this central bank digital mm -hmm. currency blah 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 blah. and here's how you, what you can do and you can subscribe to some newsletter or other uh, pay i think it's 100 quid a year and get some constant updates on how to protect your wealth because they're coming for it with the central bank digital currencies and also it's a kind of fascistic slavery system so he's put this out a couple of weeks ago and all of a sudden you know his bank accounts are all switched off so it, yeah. you don't need to be a genius to work out what's going on here there is a faction out there an elite faction i would say like the p2 in italy in the 1980s uh, committees of people who just uh they but they are in charge and they decide which politicians we're allowed to vote for and at the end of the day it's run by intelligence uh, services the uh, and the banksters mainly, but obviously the military, the, the top police are in there. 
the uh, owners of the press, the Black Rocks, the Vanguards, the Larry Finks, yeah, you know, the, yeah, all yeah, these. Yeah. All, when masses. you say it's run by representatives of the same elite families who now represent all of these entities, which are, are, are places where power resides um, for the time being until new technology comes, just like in the past. And one of the things that you talk about, I mean, I've, 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 I've got to stop there. Uh, stop you there because wow I've had so many thoughts going through my mind especially that a lot of my research um, that goes back to the uh, time of when that empire was being built uh, it seems to be uh, being built um, by necessity so I did two separate um, articles about looking into uh, family histories one about Barbara Hewson uh, who was a very complicated lady who uh, defended people like Rolf Harris and Jimmy Savile after they'd been caught or live on T on Channel Four TV, you know, she she balls out barrister, human rights barrister, and really a a bit of a contrarian, um, a former family of contrarians, as I find out, um, and and it's a really interesting, completely, completely interesting. That I went back into their history, back to like the and go back through the fourteen hundreds and the fifteen hundreds in Britain, um, and then I went back through Bill Gates' ancestry. 700 years and I ended up in the court of King Henry VIII because um, Sir John Gates and Sir Geoffrey Gates III who, uh, Sir Geoffrey Gates III is a direct ancestor of Bill Gates um, were in the court of Henry VIII. Actually, Sir John Gates walks alongside as one of the pallbearers for Henry VIII's coffin when he died and they become the advisors to the, the king and then uh, the next to his son Edward and then uh, when Mary when he dies young and Mary takes over they try and coup the the they try and put jane seymour on the throne and then of course uh mary tudor has the heads chopped off on the first day she takes office which is uh i mean that's significant same people throughout history and then the gates family go into hiding before they run off to america but that moment that moment in history where you had this sudden power shift between the two the, the this uh protestant and and catholic and you had all of those people die under mary tudor i think that was really the point that put fuel within the creation of that empire because afterwards elizabeth put a lot of effort into colonizing as much as possible getting out of there and i think it was maybe a projection from her own fear that at any moment the, the, the tables could turn and they could all be on the chopping block so they needed places to have sanctuary and people needed to have sanctuary and at the same time it helped build empire and accrue massive wealth during that period so all of the benefits were there and when you watch how they implemented that uh, during that period that's really the birth of the empire then all of the rest afterwards like the, what, what you're talking about in the English Civil War that's the forming of what had already been started there and I think that's where it came from I, uh, but personally I think the impetus was from that really significantly scary period in history where everything everybody started getting burnt in the streets and having their heads chopped off and the like um everybody that's a bit of an exaggeration um but it's really interesting that it it um leads us it, like it propels us through history like this and we end up like you say in the modern day at the time where they're changing over a banking system and this is really significant um, what you're talking about CBDCs uh, there, there is a battle about to start and I, I, I talk to lots of crypto people um, it, on camera and behind the scenes who uh, uh, know that this is a war 
So is this the type of war we're going to see in the future? Is this the next stage? Is the bankers, is this the next big thing? Well, warfare, okay, so yes, there's shooting people um, and bombing them in warfare, but it's also, as we talked about before, psychological warfare. So that is conning people, lying to people, convincing people, um, leading them around like sheep, uh, using the the, te- the wonderful invention of television, and um, you know whatever the internet obviously too now it's like the golden age of television in the nineteen seventies and 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 well sixties and seventies mainly, where anyone could pretty much get a film onto TV is gone or long gone. The same thing sort of seems to be happening with the internet now. So you know use it while you can, folks, because there's all sorts of with the online safety bill, yeah, the idea, and, and it, this is a universal thing. You look, all, every Western country is bringing in these controls everyone to make it kind of like china you know where you just can't have free speech anymore on the internet um so you know so there's the psychological warfare there's the economic warfare uh that was where um that was very much uh going on uh, in between the wars first world war and second world war it really started to become a a thing that the intelligence services uh, the foreign office would have a whole kind of economic warfare department uh, which was run by Desmond Morton, who went on to become uh, Winston Churchill's private secretary during the Second World War. He'd been he'd been aide de camp to General Haig in the First World War. So the, you know these are you can just trace these specific individuals who were uh, I find this fascinating who've been involved in these you know the development of these evil systems of lying, control, warfare, whatever. Then we've also got obviously satellite warfare, space war, that sort of thing. We've got cyber warfare now. So there's a whole different, you know, uh, ball game. And the Americans have rather stupidly said, well, if a cyber attack, um, uh, that could be trigger a nuclear response. Really? Right. Well, mm. and that cyber attack has come from where? From the NSA? Because it's all. It, they've also said, by the way, it's, it's really impossible to tell where a cyber attack is from. So you're going to attack a country with a nuclear weapon uh, for a cyber attack that you don't know where it's come from. I mean, this is the idiot. Well, it's not an idiotic logic. It's designed to demoralize people. And it's a, it's a des- it's a kind of a signature of the despotism. And I'd like to just talk a little bit about some of the most recent stuff I've been looking into, uh, yes, which please. got tri- triggered for me by interviewing uh, a brilliant guy i think he's brilliant david livingstone who wrote this book um transhumanism the history of a dangerous idea mm. and it, he's a canadian and he's one of his first book was called the dying god and it was looking at uh, well it's a brilliant title because he's looking at the way that the whole concept of god has been dying you know or being killed off so you know yeah in medieval times, pretty much everyone believed there was a you know purpose to it, or you know, and we were created children of God of one sort or another. Most people thought that, but now, of course, this is so-called silly idea, you know. And and he looks at that, but he also uh, the, the the title of dying God is also to do with this uh, sun worship, where you know the sun dies in the evening and is resurrected every morning. So it's a quite a clever title, and he goes into the uh, really the dualistic challenge there's been over the millennia between the kind of Canaanite tradition and that turned into the Greek and Roman empires and all those Greek and Roman myths as against the Judeo-Christian biblical and Islamic tradition that's come through the Old Testament. These two kind of clashing ways of looking at the world. And, you know, and he also looks at the 
the development of particularly of Christianity from the Orthodox, the original Orthodox Church. I mean, the Catholics love to say, oh, we're the original church. St. Peter founded it in Rome. No, no. You had a battle with the Orthodox Church in the 1100s. And or was it 10? I'm not quite sure. I think it was the 10th century. Yeah. Uh, with the Orthodox Church. 1154, I think, was the Great Schism, where they each of the popes dis- it, 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 uh, excommunicated each other in Constantinople <laughs> and Rome. And, uh, and so you had the split from the Orthodox Church to the Catholics. And then in the 1500s, you had the, the Protestants, which was a remaking of the Catholic Church to make it morally okay to screw people if you mind my language, with business and, and the, for the merchants to get on and just make loads and loads of money and make everybody that, uh, you know, poor people work for them in factories and things like that. So that was another remaking of the whole faith. So so I think this, uh, David, well, I was chatting to David about about all this and a bit about really more to do with the transhumanism side, which is his more recent books. And uh, he and I, I was saying to you, where where does this a lot of this come from? And he mentioned this uh, guy called Nick Land. Now Nick Land is uh, what he called the father of accelerationism. So this whole concept of accelerationism, where what you're doing is you're trying to move change society but change it faster and faster and faster. And you see all of the top people, the Schwabs, so-called top people. Uh, and the Hararis um, and Larry Fink, you know, the uh, uh, BlackRock guy. And uh, they're all using this term all the time. And it's a com- become a buzzword, accelerate, accelerate. We've got to accelerate this. Starmer uses it, etc. cetera. Uh, yeah, Sunak uses it. So we've got to accelerate. So anyway, ex- accelerationism. Uh, and and, I, and he was talking about Nick Land as the father of X. Ex- anyway, I said to us, at the end of the interview, I finished the interview with him. I said, who is this Nick Land? Who is he? Tell me a bit more about him. And he said, oh, well, he was a philosophy professor at Warwick University, went to Sussex University, studied. For, and I said, hang on, I know him. I went to school with him. And <laughs> uh, so this was a, in a, a David, David in his image where he says, no way, no way. Uh, so, but I did. I was friends with this guy. I used to call him Nazi Nick at school. Oh, uh, I always wonder why his nickname was going to be. I, I was guessing Nicky Nickers or something. Uh, he used to wear knickers on his head or something. But Nat, Nazi Nat, Nick. Nazi well, Nick. that that is more descriptive. And uh, go on. <laughs> so anyway, so he was a. I mean, he was a fascinating character. He really was, and he was a good mate of mine actually, even though he was a Nazi, because he had this <laughs> dark. Sen- he, had, he had a dark sense of humour. Uh, and he was always into doing stuff. We used to sit and play war games, you know, these tabletop war games on a Saturday around his house. His mum would bring us sandwiches and stuff. And um, his dad worked for Shell, by the way, he was a director of Shell in South Africa in, uh, in the 1970s. That wasn't the coolest thing in the world to be. But anyway, so uh, so we'd be playing like the, the Six-Day War over a few hours, and then, uh, you know, on a Saturday with a group of mates. It was called Diplomacy Club. Mm-hmm. And so we, so we started off playing diplomacy. So this is what I did as a sort of 13, 14 year old kid. Uh, and then to find that he's the fa- become the father of accelerationism was a bit bizarre. And, and, and so I'm looking, I've been looking more and more into this. He's out in Shanghai now, which is the old opium capital, the financial capital of China. Um, and the, the, the whole point of this is, I think, to understand what they're doing, which is, I mean, Harari, he's, he's written this thing called The Dark Enlightenment, which is a manifesto, which is looking at the old Enlightenment from, uh, you know, it's, uh, the, the Masonic thing after the Civil War. So from the 1700s, mainly, the idea of uh, 
everyone can talk about religion as much as they want and there's no kind of sanction from the church which there used to be you can't say this you can't this is blasphemy you're going to prison you're having your head so getting rid of that and also opening up the whole debate around science which was the royal society so for example the royal society in edinburgh was chaired by uh john robeson or secretary was John Robeson, who wrote this brilliant, amazing book, The Proofs of a Conspiracy Against All Religions and Governments, which was a look at the way that the Freemasonry that he joined, which was a speakeasy and a Christian thing, supposedly, was being taken over by these Illuminists, the Illuminati, and, and that, uh, that there was a, a, a satanic side to it so john robeson is writing about this stuff he's also mates with james watt who invents is inventing the steam engine so that's that's your original enlightenment now next thing is the dark enlightenment mm -hmm. so this is all about machines controlling humans humans keep messing things up <clears throat> we keep making a mess of things we're not very good actually of course the fact is we're great we're wonderful but we keep getting manipulated and steered and messed around with by banksters etc so but he wants the humanity to be enslaved by machines. He thinks that's going to be a good thing. And he wants to get rid of what he calls the cathedral, which is all these other sort of civil society things like, you know, religions, trade unions, all these things, other things that get in the way uh, of machines controlling humanity. So he's got this. The other thing, Johnny, is that, you know, he's also um, very much into hallucinogenic drugs. I mean, he kind of got into that as I wasn't. You know, I, uh, he kind of un unfriended me when we got to about sixteen. <laughs> but he was, the idea that somebody who's into this stuff at that at that early age, he was into William Gibson, all that kind of thing, should then be dropping acid on, on a very very mega regular basis. He's then getting into a very, I think, dark direction. Mm -hmm. And so then he went to Warwick. He was kicked out of Warwick University allegedly for giving LSD to his uh, philosophy students, mm -hmm. and also. Someone was telling me uh, who was one of his students up there that they were conjuring demons uh, or trying to. Nick was yeah, trying to conjure yeah, demons yeah. in the philosophy department at Warwick University. So, so anyway, he's ended up in China. So I just think it's and, and the the basics here are this dark enlightenment and accelerationism is always the same. So what they do is create a crisis. So this could be a, a cost of living crisis. It could be a COVID crisis. Um, it could be a climate crisis. All sorts of crises. Oh, well, no, 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 isn't it terrible? And they have a massive load of mass media fuss-potting about it, exaggerate it, and then the solution, which has already been pre-prepared, uh, just makes things far worse. So this is a philosophy, I think, which is it, the West is in the grip of, right? It's a Nietzschean mm -hmm. philosophy. Mm -hmm. it's a Nietzsche. And so the idea is that uh, this is almost programmed into the entire civil society. And how can you do that? You might say we live in a democracy. Rubbish. The Bilderbergers, uh, which is another area of my study, have, have, have kind of completely got a stranglehold on policy now through their contacts in the press, in the banking sector, uh, and particularly in politics. We've got David Lammy. God, I mean, he's about to become <laughs> foreign secretary in charge of foreign policy. We, we saw awful, him. Yeah. Well, we saw him last month at the Bilderberg conference in Lisbon, which I always recommend people, if you can find out where it's going to be, go there. Because, it, you know, it, Lammy was turning up at Bilderberg and he was, and he obviously was 
wasn't uh, he didn't have the right credentials to get in so the security kept him at the gate we had this with ed balls a few years ago as well and they stood there in this embarrassing fashion so all us photographers can kind of swarm around and get loads of pictures of embarrassed lammy who's you know he's not i i actually said under my breath i said hey man you're not important enough you know anyway so uh so he then went off um, he didn't like having his photograph taken. He wasn't being let in. So he went and hid behind a tree, behind a bush nearby. And he's on the phone to them. Please let me in. Can you come and send someone to let me in? And um, the they sent somebody out. They'd already had sent somebody out, one of the security, Bilderberg security people, to say, look, and then, and then they're going, where is he? Where's he gone? You know, he's not here anymore. He's hiding around. Oh, behind. No. So one, Giorgio is this lovely guy who comes to most of the Bilderberg things, uh, who's in, originally Italian, lives in Belgium now. He actually took the security guard around behind the bush to show where Lamy was hiding, you know. Oh, my and, Lord. And they, then Lamy eventually manages to get into the Bilderberg meeting. So, uh, uh, I mean, just on an, in a nutshell, Bilderberg is the NATO lobby. It's the military-industrial complex, the evil empire, basically deciding who we can and cannot have as candidates to be, mm-hmm. you know, prime minister or leader of the opposition or whatever. And it's it's one up from the World Economic Forum, I'd say, because it's just the NATO countries, and it is a it is a kind of uh, parallel secret government, and that's how I think they make sure that these various policies, accelerationist policies. it's proper gender. The idea is the entire national debate is controlled. So you've got a crisis and a reaction, a crisis and a reaction, and all of those things are just taking away all of our... I mean, look at Mm -hmm. at what's been going on with the climate stuff and net zero. I mean, the destruction of farming in in Holland. And, and of course, if we had a left-wing government here, the same would be going on in Britain. The farmers would be being decimated being told mm-hmm. you, you know too many of your cows are farting you're going to have to cut down your your <laughs> number of livestock which is already very low on historic levels with all these solar panels everywhere and they uh, are down by 90 percent and um, you're also not allowed to use fertilizers or we're taxing you now the fact fa- that the dutch farmers have got just a really simple slogan which they've been you, you know it's brilliant to see the protests we don't see them on the tv of course which is no farmers no food and of course it doesn't take a genius to work out what's going on here you know there's a structural starvation of the population being prepared Mm -hmm. Uh, and the 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 land is at the back of it like it was back in the enclosures johnny and you know the things that led to the civil war is these private equity firms and the banksters are coming for the land not just the farmland but also your house you know so yeah. when you can't make, pay the mortgage or the council tax is jacked up so much that you can't pay that you have to sell your house and um uh you might be able to still live there for a few years but it's going to be owned by hsbc it's going to be owned by vanguard or uh, blackstone or whatever so they're coming for the the land that we need to grow our food in uh and to live on and if we can't grow food and you can't live where well, we really are their slaves aren't we yeah, and and I see massive similarities between uh, English Civil War and and now for sure uh, the run up to it, um, and the way life is, be, you know, the infrastructure is being um, uh, manipulated by those in power. Hey, uh, when you're talking um, about, did you say his name, uh, Nick Land? Did you say yeah. Land? Nick when you're Land. Talking, yeah, accelerationism. Um, and now I, a couple of things. First of all, uh, anybody who knows me knows that uh, um, I, 
I accredit uh, psychedelics or at least the the use of psychedelics to get to a better place. But if I had done that when I was a, a kid or young, I would never have got to a better place because you have to have a really strong mind to understand what's happening and to understand what is real and what is an illusion. Uh, mm. And psychedelics doesn't help you do that. So from a very young age, I don't, I don't, uh, but I, I do think there are, there, there are, uh, qualities that it can bring to somebody's no, life. Listen, but, listen, I agree. You know, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, David Nutt, who was the chief advisor on drugs to the government, has just brought out a book all about the benefits of psychedelics. Yeah, but I, I would don't... say, you know, in one word, I would say, take a tiny bit. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, none yeah. of this. None of this loads and loads of sight, you know, whatever they do with ayahuasca or whatever. It, it's not something which is a good idea to do a lot of, you know. Uh, yeah, it, I, 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 I've only done that when I come to the point when I just didn't want to keep going anymore. And then I was like, there was a choice to make. And I spent three months making a, a lot of choices and looking at myself and being able to, to tackle issues that mm. I could never tackle outside. But this isn't about that. One, one of my point, one of my points about, about this is that it, the, the, the type of person that then goes and says, well, I know more because I've taken LSD. So yeah, well, I'm going to get other people to start taking LSD so they know more. And then they can usually uh, use that to control. I've sat with people and taken it. I prefer to take those sort of things alone because I've been with people who try to change your mind and manipulate yeah. your mind while you're on it. And he sounds like exactly that type of person. Sounds like it. Maybe he's not. But um, but he sounds like that type of person that Noah, Noah Yuval Noah Harari and, and these guys, I've studied them uh, quite a bit and I've, I've, I've looked at what they what they're doing and it's very well look i say stick to the natural stuff stick to the magic mushrooms have one or yeah. two or three yeah, yeah. you know not a hundred like some people just think the more i have the more amazing it's going to be man and also yeah. you know you're seeing like you know whatever hallucinations you might or might not be seeing is just it, it's just made up in your head what a lot of people do is they think well well man i'm seeing the real reality no no, no, mm -hmm. no. You're seeing, you're what you're seeing in a hallucination is is just a dream, really, and mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a terrible, terrible mistake which a lot of people make is to think, well, well I've seen seen the real world as it really is. No, it's a way of exploring yourself. Really. Yeah, yeah. it's think, a way of exploring yourself because it disconnects amount, you, you really from you your do, the, and do it do it legally, yeah. and if you really have to, tiny amounts and yeah, just yeah, you know, yeah. like baby steps, you know. But it's like it's like for 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 me it's like there's it it allows you to have a look at things without that judgment of yourself and the judgment of other people around when you're when you when you 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 take something like that you're able to detach yourself from that sense of always judging yourself and then suddenly you're able to to be more expressive and it's true if you what you're saying uh with microdose is a fantastic way just to uh, chill out and have a talk with someone and chat through your problems a lot like um many different uh drugs can do but th the point is is how they use them and how how other people use them because i really mean i've sat in a room with someone who's who i i uh, didn't think that i 
have the level of like sort of I've had experience with psychedelics um, that I had and tried to manipulate me. A couple of people, in actual fact, who have tried to manipulate me, and I know they're trying to manipulate me. So, so you know, you have to do these things with the well, most listen, trustworthy I'm try- person. I'm trying. I'm trying to manipulate you now. Yeah. By, by saying there is a reason why it is illegal and it's because it can destroy your mind you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, it, it can do. so you, yeah, this is why i say if you're going to do it do it in a you know in a, in a very nurturing environment and and do it legally and do it with a tiny micro doses and and don't use the chemicals and use the don't become a nazi accelerationist uh, <laughs> basically that's one of the things that you also don't want to do well, but that's there's a really good article about the death trip right which is talking mm. about nick land you'll find it out there somewhere i've tried oh. to approach the guy he hasn't got back to me who wrote that but he's saying look this guy is just uh, you know he's he's on a death trip and he's trying to drag everyone else down with him effectively so be i've i've actually tried to get hold of nick through a mutual friend uh to interview him about all this uh in, in from shanghai but unfortunately he's not got back to me it's just weird mm-hmm. seeing i've seen talks of him and i just remember you know i remember the same intonations of the voice from sort of 13 14 yeah, years yeah. old yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah but then look also uh, just to bring this stuff up to sort of right really relevant today and and the struggle of people like julian assange i mean we don't we still don't hear enough really about him on the news and it should be all the time all the journalists out there that don't seem to really care that too much about what happens to julian of course it's a massively important thing and i've uh, on this week's program got an interview with the guy that took over from julian as the editor of wikileaks a really lovely bloke as an icelandic uh, investigative journalist and we don't hear much about that because of course most of the campaign is now to get him out off of this uh yeah, charge yeah, yeah. one of the one of the most interesting things he was telling me was that it, the charges against julian may have nothing to do with the military that uh, if you look at the actual substance of the charges under the espionage act they're talking about him releasing uh sensitive information to the public well they didn't they sent the uh, they gave they released uh the uh, information to the newspapers uh with very clear instructions that you mustn't be printing this is just for your information and not to be published these names are very important you don't publish them so they didn't publish them the guardian did the new york times did and uh so uh but so the question is what really has julian done which has upset them more than anything else and the answer seems to be the documents that they published during the 2000 or after the 2008 banking crisis about the evidence that it was deliberate and that mm-hmm. the bankers have been doing it deliberately well wikileaks published a whole load of that stuff and in fact several bankers around the world were jailed as a result um yeah, are yeah, doing yeah. quite long sentences five six seven years in prison uh for what for what wikileaks released and a load of other just just to intersect for just a second a load of other bankers who were involved in that uh are now world economic forum young global leaders from the past couple of years only the past couple of years go go well that's right and um and the other thing i must must say is you know i'm i'm a uh, Christian, uh, that is to say, I was brought up sort of Church of England, you know, going to local church. Um, but then I realised kind of that the, there was something missing in the Church of England. Uh, eventually, came around to become a Quaker. But the the point is that this Christian tradition is really important as a moral kind of uh, anchor to sort of 
and, and also I believe historically, uh, absolutely, you know, the history of the Jews is an absolutely brilliant, amazing tale, but it's true. I think that's what did happen. You know, Moses did come out of uh, the, the slavery of Pharaoh in Egypt and they did set off to that part of the world and God did sort that place out for them, you know, and looked after these people. I mean, the Jewish the Jewish um, religion, race, whatever you want to call it, it, they are an amazing bunch of people. I mean, they can be flawed and they can be bad and good just like anyone else but okay. i've over the years you know over the years learned a tremendous amount of wisdom from uh, from people brought up in the jewish tradition obviously what's going on over in in palestine is hideous disgusting it's a kind of hijacking of that yeah, faith completely. and it, isn't it handy how the rabbinic tradition in europe which would now be opposing what's going on in in, uh, in palestine uh it was massacred by hitler so that yeah. rabbinic tradition, the sort of ordinary normal Jews uh, from right over Europe, were just put into the mincing machine, and uh, and so there's been a Zionist kind of fake version of the religion has been created, the same as the you know your Al Qaeda's a fake version of of Islam, and the same as the Z Christian Zionist nutters are the fake version of the Christianity. Mm -hmm. So these various faiths have been occupied, and all you see on television is that, oh, the nutty Christian, you know, vicar who's a pervert, and, you know, so they it, it, it's it's perfect to give the faith a really bad press. And, and yeah, what yeah. I've finished up by saying by my little religious rant, if you want, is look at the book of Revelation. My God, this stuff is all happening. You know, the mark of the beast, for God's sake, is happening. You know, the idea of the image of the beast, which is this animated statue. Robotics is all happening right now. And, uh, you know, it's difficult to know to piece it all together, but you can see for sure if someone comes along to you and says, hey, we're going to put a microchip in your hand just there, or maybe we'll put one in your forehead, you know, and uh, if you're one of the really super elite, you can have it there and it will make your transactions so much easier. And, and this is obviously written by John. Uh, actually, it was Procurus, who was his little scribe, the, mm. the Apostle John on Patmos about 90 uh, uh, AD. Um, and it was there was all sorts of battles over the centuries to keep it in and out of the Bible. But I think, you know, now is the time to dust off your Bible, have a look at that book of Revelation, see what it's saying, because it's speaking to us, I think, very much. The idea of the four horsemen, the apocalypse as well, is really important because this is a signal uh it's saying look you know this is going to get really really rough but keep your faith uh and the, the idea of the four horsemen is look when these events start happening i'm not going to say what you know what they are i think they're to do with a, a war they're to do with a famine uh, and they're also to do with economic collapse i think the black horse is economic collapse and the pale horse is uh, disease and famine killing loads of people but these four horsemen of the apocalypse is god saying look guys you know, it's going to get rough, but keep the faith. Don't worry, because, well, you know, you obviously might well be worried when you're on death's door or there's a wars going on and the sky goes dark or whatever. And and the other thing is, is read The Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings is, is a fantastic allegory for all of this. And Tolkien was weaving in a lot of the imagery that we look around in the Illuminati imagery with the Eye of Sauron. You've got the, the traitor Saruman, which is the Freemason, the white hand of the Freemasons. Mm -hmm. and so he's, he's weaving in all of that, you know, the treacherous people we have around us, maybe even within our own family. Certainly, mm -hmm. you know, in our civic society, there are traitors out there are selling us out. They want us yes. dead. 
They want us out yes. of the way. So this is all in there for that sort of final battle, which, of course, the good people win, ultimately. Yeah. Now, quite how it all transpires, I don't know. We may not be alive to see it. We probably won't. But the the fact is that it's not just about, you know, the goodness of humanity will prevail. There is a plan unfolding. And the bad guys, well, you know, what's happened is they're at war with Russia right now. And uh, they're also at war with their own people. So they're isolating themselves slowly but surely. They're becoming less and less and less people that will actually do these evil deeds yeah. and enslave humanity that have the arrogance to think that they are gods, you know. Oh, God is just a load of silly rubbish and nonsense. I'm a god. I can do what I want. Look, mm -hmm. you know, look, I can make all these people kill themselves with uh, COVID vaccines. Ha-ha, <laughs> aren't I clever, you know. So yeah, yeah. this is their, their attitude. They like the idea of being able to sort of con people into their own demise and uh, – so I think that's what we're up against in this kind of spiritual war, Johnny. And uh, uh, so. I see it, I see it, you know, in the pages of Revelation sort of opening up bit by bit. These bit, bits and pieces in that book are being put into place. They it talks about locusts, you know, locust-like yeah, yeah. things. Hey, hey, I, I, I tell you, I tell the people out there, if you want an amazing telling of Revelations, you should be listening to Vangelis and Demi Russo, uh, and Aphrodite's Child, 666, Mark of the Beast, that tells double album that tells of everything, including the Plague of the Locust, and that is one hell of a uh, hell of a bit of progressive rock. Well, that's right. I mean, you th I think we're talking here, because they, if they'd have seen a drone, you know, in a vision mm -hmm. back in yeah. 90, yeah. 90 AD, that was, well, it's like that, isn't it? I don't know what it is, but it's a bit like a locust. That, that yeah. is a fantastic, I'd love to go into this in much more detail on another time, because that is exactly placed on, on a note of the um, post-World War, when they created the CIA, the majority of the people who formed the CIA, including Kermit Roosevelt and others, um, were, were uh, ant f f f really strong anti-Zionists. Um, they believed uh, the idea of the creation of the state of Israel and, and under the banner of Zionism by these Zionist actors was a really bad idea for the future. And they fought really hard against it up until they were defeated around 1966, 1967, eventually the tide turned against them and then after that everybody was on board um so or most of the powerful were on board and knew they had to be on board by that point uh the tide had turned so there, there's a history that i think always surprises people when you tell people about that um i've seen people who are really angry about israel and zionism who don't know that part of history they think that america has been on board the entire time and everybody's been on board but it's it's actually well, no, quite I mean, okay Here's here's a little tale which is was revealed in the Silurian blog on on the, in the Daily Telegraph about or must be fifteen years ago now, uh, which was that Jim Morrison, the Doors singer's father, uh, he was an admiral in the Sixth Fleet, which is the Mediterranean fleet mm -hmm. for the US, and that was involved in the Six Day War, and uh, had another event. USS Liberty was in the Sixth Fleet, and of course the Admiral of the fleet, with his sitting in his aircraft carrier or wherever he was, is saying, "Hang on, the Israelis have just attacked one of my boats and tried to sink it. Let's do a raid on the Israeli air air air, air bases." And this is this is in the, the height of the Six Day War. So so uh, the planes, the aircraft were actually scrambled, the Phantom jets from the aircraft carriers, to, and were heading off to bomb the Israelis when Lyndon Johnson called him up and said, bring the planes back, we're not retaliating. 
we're not going to fight the Israelis. So that was a quite an important moment where, you know, the powers that be, obviously uh, Johnson was involved in the assassination of JFK, was very very much involved in it, as Edgar Hoover was and the Texas barons hiring the Chicago mob uh, including the rather accurate I, I'd hitman. love to go into that as well because I mean I talked with Corey Hughes about that and I always find that Lyndon B. Johnson looks like he was in complete shell shocked when it happened I felt to think they kept him at a certain distance here and there but he knew certain parts of it and it all he didn't know it was going to be then and there and, and quite d- but it's d- Marion I think and his, his girlfriend's name is Marion and uh, she was I'm not sure if she was Lyndon Johnson's girlfriend or Edgar Hoover she, she in, actually was in a brilliant ITV documentary about who killed JFK from the 1980s, uh, and she just says she, she. It's in my book, by the way. It's all the, I transcribed it all. Uh, that that is to say, the Siege of Heaven Reader, uh, and it's it, where she describes uh, being at HR Hunt, I think his name is House, mm-hmm. the night before the assassination. Lyndon Johnson saying to her, "The Kennedy brothers will never bother me again." Uh, you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they had a big meeting there with oh, with Hoover fantastic. and the rest of them, and they hired James Files and Charles Nicoletti, uh, Johnny Roselli from the Chicago Mafia, three hitmen, to come down uh, and to uh, to kill JFK. And this mm-hmm. was mainly because of the um, the fiasco of the Bay of Pigs. There were a lot of people yeah. who had been training for the Bay of Pigs and, and, and the takeover of Cuba and Kennedy refused to uh, to include the US Air Force to do cover for their invasion and so a lot of them died it was all humiliating and they hated Kennedy for that main reason but this was really just an excuse to take out and isn't it interesting how uh, his his nephew is uh, yeah is it was his father was killed afterwards uh, RFK uh, what is it about eight years afterwards was assassinated because he wanted to open up the uh, in, uh, reopen the inquiry into JFK's killing, mm-hmm. and now his son is uh, in the running for the Democratic nomination. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so this is a fascinating was... thing. Complete news blackout on this, by the way, even yeah. though it's such a fascinating story. Yeah, yeah, completely, um, completely mm-hmm. interesting. I think it was about five years. I think it was sixty-eight that uh, RFK. I only, That's I right. only know that because I just, yeah. just looked into it recently. Listen, thank you for all your time. We've got so much to talk about in the future. We're on the same, same wavelength now. I'm glad I've caught up with you. It's taken me a bit of a while, but I've got a lot of reading to do. So I'm gonna uh, go and look into your your work and your books, and and really start uh, trying to take in what's going on. So well, tell us. Yeah. Okay. So I've got uh, another that that book I was telling you about, the Siege of Heaven Reader, is a sort of uh, it, this. You why you're editor, it, you're classed as editor. Yeah, you've it's, ed- it's an anthology, so mm-hmm. I mean, which I edited, which is all the way from the English Civil War to the assassination of Diana, and there's a lot about you know why Charles was involved in that, and you know why she was in the way, why she was so problematic, oh, why so she had to be murdered. Well, of course it is. You know, we do we want a wife murderer as king? I mean. That's a question that I think should be uh, uh, so, uh, the people in power do. <laughs> so, so there's so there's that you know, and it, and it also shows, doesn't it, how um, the evildoers are really getting smaller and smaller in number and having to kind of stay together in their cults because they realise any kind of uh, outsiders might just betray them or might not be reliable. It's a control freak. It's the same as the fall of Rome. So what yeah, happened yeah. with Rome? Uh, so there's that the siege of heaven reader. 
um that's 20 quid but it's you know it's it's an easy thing to dip into loads and loads of stuff about hidden government secret government through history from the english civil war uh up to the and then and then i did did an investigation into the bilderbergers and martin borman who was hitler's private secretary because i came across um some individuals who'd been involved in world war ii uh who were responsible for getting martin borman out of Berlin just before literally the few days before the end of the Second World War mm. by canoe and it was commandos trained down in Hailing Island Amazing. plus some Jewish commandos and of course the thing Borman he's, he, he as a person had to be brought out because he had the he was a signatory to all the major Nazi bank accounts so mm. around about a billion dollars which in 1945 was a lot more than a billion now oh, wow. uh, in Switzerland in Switzerland Argentina etc and he was responsible for the whole sort of plan to recreate the the third reich you know industrial economic fourth reich after the war but so he had a lot of money and so he was doing deals all, all around the world with the brits at the end of the war so this is really looking at how that ended up with uh, the same people involved in the the battle of arnhem uh, which provided the extra time Borman needed to secrete the Nazi wealth around the world and get his plans all ready to go, uh, that they were the ones that were chosen, the ones that threw the fight in Arnhem uh, to do things like chair the Bilderberg conferences for 20 years, as Prince Bernhard did, Peter Carrington. He also became a chairman of the Bilderberg meeting before he died. He was in charge of... Um, the, he was a defence secretary uh, when we had Bloody Sunday, for example, in the parachute mm. regiment massacring people so these individuals uh, can be very much directly connected back to this battle in world war ii and also to the wow. recreation of the nazis as an industrial empire uh, and a massive bunch of cartels where the clever thing they did i mean there's two books really that, that that i got most of the information plus a few individuals that came to me with extra information one is called op jb by christopher crichton uh, which looks at the escape of borman to london eventually and out of berlin at the end of the war and then the second one is martin borman nazi in exile written by cbs journalist paul manning and paul uh, wrote this in the 1980s but he had discovered borman over in south america creating all these businesses laundering the mm -hmm. cash from the loot of the war through Sullivan and Cromwell law firm, which was the Dulles oh, Brothers yeah, law firm yeah, in yeah, yeah. New York, into these new companies. And the clever thing they did was many of the companies were uh, fronted by Jews. So there'd be a Jew as a chairman. So no one would ever suspect that uh, the uh, company was actually financed from the Nazi loot of yeah. World War Two. Very, very oh. smart. You know? So so that that is, uh, that is uh, the, it's called the Traitors of Arnhem. Martin Borman and the Bilderberg Group. So it's looking at the creation of the, the links between the Bilderbergers and the creation of this Fourth Reich. And the final one is just an e-book, and that is just a. Uh, uh, it's called The Siege of Heaven, which is a look at the. It's, it's just a um, a bunch of my articles I did for RT, and some that RT wouldn't we wouldn't use, and others that I've written since. So I've done one on uh, on the cost of living crisis, which is looking at housing and the way that the price of housing is being used to force through the cost of it forced the cost of living crisis in and what we what we even the labor party is trying to take people's houses off them you know so uh and, and then the other one is to look at the english civil war um and w the witchcraft and the run-up to the english civil war and the way that the 
the you know the the Protestant Reformation because the Catholics had been really hopeless in prosecuting witchcraft cases, and so the Protestants all started getting involved. You know, why well, we know there's some witches, we're going to prosecute them, and it's the way that the witchcraft system was used by Cromwell uh, to organise mm -hmm. the conspiracy to uh, to kill uh, to you know do a judicial kind of assassinate, a bit like they're doing trying to do to Trump, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know the the character assassination of Boris and all these. I mean, this is becoming a normal thing now in Brazil, etc. Lula and Dilma Rousseff before him have been. You know, soon it's almost like as soon as Bolsonaro's just come out of power, no, they're going to put him on trial. You know, so yeah, this yeah, yeah. attempt to control to make sure that anybody that looks like they might be a decent leader is is put on trial and taken through the courts and stopped from even standing. Uh, th that sort of thing was going on way back in the English Civil War as well. So there's, that's called The Siege of Heaven, but it's just an e-book. My weekly, I mean, Bilderberg.org has been there for a long time, just hanging around with background. It is one hell of a hulk of a load of information in there, I tell you. I mean, that, that, a lot of that I got from the Bobbian Library when I was living in Oxford uh, in the 1990s and just literally scanned in and put it up online because it's all background on who the Bilderbergers were. I mean, it, it just got my goat that uh, you've got the chairman of the Bilderberg for the first 20 years is a former SS officer, Prince Bernard of the Netherlands. Like, mm -hmm. you know, no one's supposed to bat an eyelid. Uh, so, and then I do a weekly uh, radio show, um, which is, uh, we were booted off even off silly little community radio here in Bristol on FM. But oh, it, it's wow. a... It's, uh, I mean, that was during COVID because we've been covering Andrew Wakefield and, yeah, you know, yeah. all the questions about MMR vaccines and... Um, oh, you, know, you can't do that, Tony. You well, know you can't you know, do that. This is it, the Bristol Mafia. <laughs> didn't, I mean, I'm also criticising our mayor here, who's a Yale World yeah. Fellow, uh, oh, Marvin East, and, in, and his dad was involved very much in the underground and in the 1980s, mm -hmm. in fact, in a court case where he was accused of trying to murder the leader of the anti-apartheid group in Bristol. So, wow. I mean, he's a, black, he's a black guy. So, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why the Bristol establishment don't like me. I've been also involved in exposing the Merchant Venturers, who are this organisation oh, set up. Oh, they're amazing. The yeah, they were set up after the discovery of North America to exploit it, and they were involved. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. The but they're the, still the, there. They're the Houston's, the Houston's were um, involved in a, a, a Yorkshire a version of it that was like, um, oh, it's amazing. I've 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 done research on that before. It's a really interesting moment. It's that moment of the, we're going to take now. over the world. Well, the <laughs> thing is that they are a sort of local Illuminati. You know, who the hell are these people? There, there's 120 of them apparently. Apparently, their, their accounts are not visible to journalists because it's all under a royal charter. Only the Privy Council can scrutinise their accounts, you wow. know. So, and and if you look at, it's very difficult to to to, to understand exactly what they're about. But what one thing you can always do is their shareholdings will allow them to nominate people onto boards of companies. So you can see their where their shares are because they're putting their people, who's another merchant venturer, onto this company. Mm -hmm. In fact, sometimes they do that before they've even become. So there's this whole group of businesses in Bristol wow. of people that want to join the merchant venturers so their kids will never have to work and they can spend their whole life playing golf if they want, you know, because oh, the, 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 the shares that they own, Johnny, are, you can see, it's things 
things like the water company, you know, the electricity company, the gas, all the stuff that Thatcher privatised, they pulled all the shares up. And every time you turn on a light bulb or you switch the tap on, the money is going to this. They're, they're hitting another golf ball into the bunker. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so that's thisweek.org.uk. You can catch the show. And there's also Excellent. an app. An app which Nick, lovely Nick from Poland, well, he's a Brit who lives in Poland. Not Nazi creation. Nick, a different Nick. No, definitely a different Nick. Yeah, completely opposite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's called Not the BCFM Politics Show app. I know it's quite a mouthful. Not the BCFM Politics Show. Stick that on your phone and it will ping you about 15 minutes before the show starts on a Friday. So you can listen live or you can download the show afterwards on the app or you can listen to because i have longer clips and if you fa found a little clip i've used a short clip interesting you can go and listen to the full interview on the app or you can just download it off the website thisweek.org.uk johnny awesome excellent listen that's a load of information i'm sure people a load of people in my audience they're already going to know you um but i'm sure every time they listen to you they learn a load of new information and thanks for giving me your time i know you're a bit busy so uh i i really appreciate it thank you Tony. yeah Gardner. so it's great that there's people like you and i helping people navigate the minefield because there's loads and loads and loads of really sophisticated rubbish out there mm. and so that's what we try and do every week is help people through it yeah well, it's appreciated and thanks for talking to me today. Okay, Johnny, take care, mate.